Well, let's have a word of prayer, and then we will uh, we'll get going. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we have together to worship you, to think on you, to uh, be able to know you better through your word. Lord, we pray for the humility and work it takes to do that, for your spirit to work in our hearts to make it possible. Lord, we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, as you can see, today we're going to talk about the holiness of God. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about God's sovereignty. And so, we already know that will probably turn out just fine. Anybody? Thank you. Over here. I hear that chuckle. Um, there's extra sheets on your table. Make sure to tip your waitresses. Okay. The coffee's decaf this morning, so don't expect. Is it really? <laughs> don't expect an yeah, effect. There's a sign there. Look at that. That's good news. Well, you're not going to get any joy out of it. Top 10 church splits. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do we run out of regular and we can't afford it? We're, uh, ben is under discipline, I believe, so we'll be talking to him about that. Okay. Alright, well, as I was saying, we're going to talk about uh, God's holiness today. Holiness. So, uh, what do you guys, what do you think of when you think of holiness? Holiness. If you had a, uh, a young child, and they came to you and said, in Sunday school class we learned about holiness. But I had no idea what my teacher was talking about. What's holiness? Mommy or daddy? What would you say? Absolutely sinless and spotless. Okay, being sinless, spotless. Interesting. I like that. Righteous. Righteous. Okay, yeah, definitely. A, a branch of holiness is there. Yes. Separated. Separated. Good. <coughs> Yeah, these are good. Um, I've been wrestling with things like this now that I work for a company in which I have to take very difficult ideas and make them understandable to young people without committing blasphemy. It's hard. It really is. Um, there's plenty of... Oh, I don't know if there's plenty anymore. Here, let me... There's two over here. Is there still two? And I have uh, more here if I could not fall in thinking about a lot lately is that uh, when it comes to holiness, 
Um, it is perplexing to me because God, who is this thing that is what a lot of people hold to kind of the core idea of how we can understand who God is, is through his holiness. And if that's the case, um, it's almost impossible to think about God that way um, as holy. And let me give you an example. On your sheet, we talk about God's holiness has two aspects. And that first aspect is God's supreme majesty, which means this idea of being unapproachable in his glory. So this idea of unapproachable, we use that term in theology to demonstrate something that we can't, we, we, it's so, um, it is so different from us that we use the word unapproachable because we can't grasp it in our minds, what this kind of majesty is. Um, in uh, scripture it's talked about as the unapproachable light. The Hebrew word, kwadash, um, to be holy, the root means separate, quad, that Q-A-D idea means, and that's your first blank there, it means to be separate. And that separateness is so separate, I want us to try and gr to grasp this, it is so separate that it is nothing like us because the majesty is so great it's so unapproachable it's so uh, glorious that we have to use the word glorious because we have no idea what we're really saying when we say it that's the kind of idea I want you to have for what this root idea of God is this holiness now here's where the mystery comes in the second aspect of God's holiness listed there is God demands us to have his likeness as holy. His likeness as holy. So we have a God in which our understanding of him, the root idea is his separate majesty and glory which is so huge and so um, amazing that it's the only thing we can really call it is this unapproachable light that it can't be even approached so that we can even wrap a piece of our mind around it he is so glorious and then to make things even more strange he says be holy because I'm holy find that in Leviticus 26. Be holy because I am holy. And so what we find is this bizarre aspect. How do we make sense of this? What do you think? How do we make sense of the idea that God is this unapproachable majesty that we can't possibly understand, who is separate from us and everything he created, yet he tells you to be holy the way he's, or to be holy because he's holy. Let's make sure we're not committing blasphemy. 
make sense of it through the um, through that we are. You know, if I can go back to uh, Tulip. Okay. Uh, total depravity. Total depravity. Okay. For us to be redeemed by God as sinless, mm -hmm. then God has to be holy. Okay. Yeah. And that's a start. Yeah, that's a start, isn't it? So there's something about um, about sin that we're going to be dealing with, and something about our humanness that we have to deal with. Um, does anyone remember, uh, or remember, or even know, um, Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, Chapter Seven, Article One? Since, you know, to be good Presbyterians, we all have these memorized. Does anyone know what that's about? Okay. Well, I'll tell you what it's about. I don't have it memorized either. But I do know what it's about uh, because I looked it up. And uh, it's this idea. The idea is that God is so great and so unapproachable and so holy that there is no way we can bridge the gap. So God had to condescend to us. That makes sense? He had to stoop to us. Now, he didn't just stoop magically. He used a means to stoop to us, right? So the stooping, if I can put it this way, uh, we, have, we just dropped off our little kids in the, in the nursery. Okay? Uh, little kids... We, can't, we, we have a nursery for them, and we have Sunday school for them, and it, because if they're in this class, they're not going to grasp the things I'm saying, right? If I want to describe to them holiness, I have to stoop to them. Number one, I might, might have to do it physically, right? I might have to get down and talk to my three-year-old. And because I know that my three-year-old uh, has no attention span whatsoever and is a crazy mad person, I have to talk to him in a certain way. Okay. Now, when I talk to, to Jude, my three-year-old, in a special way, while stooping down to him physically, have I changed my intelligence? Has my intelligence actually gotten less? No. I would say it's increased. Boy, that's the truth. We're doing these catechisms for first graders for our textbooks uh, for Bible. We are the hardest textbook we have right now as first graders because we're trying to take these ideas and try to make them understand it without committing horrible blasphemy. It's terrible. I mean, it's hard. Terribly hard. And so, um, so I need a means to stoop to my child, but I don't lose my... I don't even lose height by, do, by stooping to him, right? Just because my knees bend doesn't mean I'm actually becoming uh, four feet. A six foot four person can get on his knees, right, or bend without ceasing to be six foot four. <laughs> this is what God does for us. He stoops to us without becoming less of, his, of who he is, less of a God to us. He doesn't lose his intelligence. 
He doesn't lose his holiness, yet he is able to stoop to us. And he uses a means. This is where it gets tricky. Okay. Catholicism taught us, back when everyone was Catholics, uh, they taught that this stooping took place through human reason. And that's where we get uh, Aristotle uh, Christianized into Thomas Aquinas. Right? And yes, everyone is quick to state that Thomas Aquinas didn't believe everything Aristotle said, but just enough to be really, really wrong. <laughs> so, um, and I don't say that out of ignorance or arrogance, but I do say it out of caution for all of you. Uh, so he had this idea that you can get to God if your reason has reached a point of appropriateness or a point of, uh, what was the word I was using this morning, honey? I had a good word this morning, but it's losing, I'm losing my mind. Um, this idea where sin has twisted our reason, but if we can get it back to being uh, a proper type of thinking, then we can think right thoughts, and those right thoughts will bring us to truth. This is where you get the Summa Theologica. The whole assumption there is God stooped to us through reason, and that is not the case. If that were the case, uh, then we would be Catholics right now. But what does 7.1 teach us? How did, what, were the, what was the means by which God stooped to us? He thought it right to stoop to us or to, uh, to come to us through a covenant. What was that? Okay. And his word is a covenant document. So what he did was he used covenant to stoop down to us. Okay. Now I say all that, there was a reason why I went through all that word, was because when he says, be holy because I am holy, there is a representative idea going on here. He's not saying be, be the root idea of me because, you know, and then we become God, or we participate in God's being, as Thomas Aquinas wants us to think. We don't participate in God's being but we are able to represent in a creaturely way his holiness. And so what does that look like? We don't become God, we don't participate in God's holiness, but we're able to represent it as creatures because he made us covenantal beings that are able to represent our God in a creaturely way, in an appropriate way. And so God does this. Um, he is able to do this uh, even with things. So holiness, I want us to think about this, is dedicating ourselves or something to the service of God. There's a dedication going on. Okay? Um, okay, I'm not going to get into that. Okay, so... If you look in Exodus 3.5, in Exodus 3.5, remember we talked about last week, Moses is standing before a burning bush, and God speaks through the fire. 
And he says, take off your sandals in 3.5, for you are standing on holy ground. So God is able to dedicate the ground to his own service. This means the ground, in a real way, is being separated for the purpose of God's presence. God's special presence before Moses. So Moses removes his sandals standing on holy ground. The ground becomes holy. It is separated for a purpose of God's work and God's presence. Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. I want you to look at that. I want to read some of that. Isaiah 6. So Isaiah has this vision. Isaiah 6, 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the fountains of the threshold, or the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I have and I live among people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now watch what the Cure is for the unclean lips, the unholy lips. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with, with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this, this has touched your lips, and your, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. So I want you to think about... The idea that the coal was red hot to the point where the angel used tongs and placed them on the lips of Isaiah. So you have Isaiah's lips are burned so they could be holy. Um, This separation from sin is a very important idea as we talk about the holiness of God. God's holiness isn't just that he is separate and unique from anything he created. It's also that this uniqueness has a character to it. It's not this cold idea that God is distinct from his, his creation in a mechanical way. But this distinction has to do with a character trait of God. That his character demands this sinlessness, this, like uh, what was said even earlier, this spotlessness. Does that make sense? Um, and God, even in Exodus 20.11, you know where that is, that's a 
Ten Commandments, God makes holy a day for himself. So he's making these things holy by separating them for his purposes and his presence. Okay? So he makes these things holy, separating them for his purpose and his presence. Uh, some of you, and this is going to sound trite, but some of you may have had uh, company, right? And uh, if that company had kids, maybe you made uh, finger jello for the kids. Have you ever, anyone make finger jello? Thank you. You guys know what finger jello is? Finger jello is the greatest thing in the world. Because it's jello that you can pick up because you put extra pectin in it or something like that. And you can play with it and eat it also. But first playing with it. Not that I would do that, but uh, children, I hear. But it's really cool. It feels funny in your hand. And... No one knows what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Okay, thank you. You're all looking at me like, oh, I don't understand. But you asked how do we make it. So okay, but you know what I'm talking about. All right. So maybe you make this finger jello and you make it into certain shapes for the kids and you're very proud of it. And maybe you have a cat. Anyone have a cat in here? Cats, cats? Okay, it's okay to have a cat. I have a cat. And, uh, <laughs> well, if there's an apocalypse, you have food. Um, <laughs> or if the power goes out, whatever. Uh, so anyway. <laughs> so you make these, this finger jello and you have... And you're all excited for the kids, and one drops on the floor. And you pick it up within five seconds, because, you know, you're not a barbarian. And you're about to put it back, and you realize there's cat hair on it. Okay. So what do you do? Rinse it off. Yeah, probably most people are going to throw it out, because it has been tainted in a way that just, you just can't come back from that. There's no coming back. There's dust on it. There's cat hair. And whenever you see something like jello with cat hair on it, it just, you can't. It's too terrible. And when you, when you see jello with cat hair on it, what you understand is an idea, and this might be a very trite idea, but an idea of what holiness is like, right? So you had something that was pure jello, and now you have something on it that is so grotesque that it can't be tolerated on it. You understand where you just, it's, it's got to be thrown out. It's nasty. Okay. So there's a violation that becomes so grotesque that the violation can't, it can't be, it can't be dealt with. So what God does is God is able to, to make something that's filled with violation, something that's filled with grotesque spot and wrinkle. Right? This is the kind of ideas that Paul gives us in, in Ephesians. Spot and wrinkle. And God is able to remove the spot and wrinkle through the washing of his word. So that you would be a holy people before him. Okay. Um, if you look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2. It is always good if you've ever been teaching for a long period of time to know how you teach and to, be, and to understand that maybe it might be frustrating to people. Um, someone brought this out to me uh, a 
few years ago that I didn't really realize this is how I teach. They say, you teach by talking around the point for an hour, and then at the very last minute you talk about the point. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's interesting, I didn't realize that. Uh, but I do, I think I do that. And, I, and that might be, for some people, very frustrating. It's like, okay, now we go to First Peter. What are we talking about? There was uh, Jello, got that, cat hair, that was kind of gross, First Peter. Don't know what you're going. And I apologize if this is frustrating to you, but we're, we're getting somewhere. Right now, if I can review, what we're saying is that God is a separate being that whose majesty is so great we can't even imagine it, but then he tells us to be holy because he's holy. And the way he's able to do this is because he's able to stoop to us, and through covenant we are able to represent him in a holy way that represents holiness in a creaturely way. But he tells us to do this in a particular way. He tells us to do this because he wants a special presence and a special work. And whenever something has a special work and requires God's special presence, he makes it holy, even if it's a thing, like the desert floor, or the lips of Isaiah, or... um, what was the other thing we did? A day that separated for his special presence and special uh, work. And in 1 Peter 2, what we see is uh, Peter telling us that we, humans, are to be a special kind of holy, right? Um, therefore, look at, look at uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, putting aside all malice... And all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, like newborn babies, uh, long for the pure milk of the word, so so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have uh, tested the kindness of the Lord, or tasted the kindness of the Lord, I'm sorry, and coming to him as a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So there is a representation going on, right? That we are uh, to represent the one who was rejected by men. And who is the one rejected by men? Who's the cornerstone rejected by men? Is this too easy? Okay, Christ, yes. Sometimes the questions are so easy, I just don't want to say it. Um, And I understand that. Um, But just like that cornerstone, we are to be stones. Do you see the similarity there? This isn't logical analogy. This is covenantal activity. Do you see the difference? Logical analogy would mean, well, Jesus is kind of like a stone, so we should be like a stone. David was a good guy, so we're supposed to be a good guy. Right? Um, it, is, it is the analogy talk of, well, this was a kind of a good analogy. Jesus is kind of like a stone, so we should be stone. What we're saying is, 
Christ was the corner foundation stone that was rejected of men, and in a covenantal way, you are to represent Christ this way also. Christ, who is our priest, who continually prays for you, you are to be a type of priest also, because you covenantally represent him. Covenantal activity is going on here, so that the, um, the sacrifices that you bring up as a priest are acceptable. So this is your, your uh, blanks here. In 1 Peter 2, we see we are a holy priesthood, that we're supposed to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable. And if you look at verse 9, this is uh, partly so that we are to proclaim his excellencies. Proclaim his excellencies. So I want you to look at Romans chapter 12. Maybe some of you have Romans chapter 12, uh, at least the first two verses memorized. They're uh, often uh, memorized by children. (laughs) Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So we are a living and holy sacrifice. What's a sacrifice we as a priesthood are to, to lay up for God our bodies. And they are to be acceptable. Um, when I was in the military, uh, on July 10th, 1991. Yes, that's right. Some of you are looking at me like, wow, so he served in World War I. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> I'm a veteran of the World War. Uh, yes, 1991 was a long time ago. That's true. Um, but July 10th, 1991, uh, I was just a high school, fresh out of high school kid, didn't know anything, a civilian. Um, I was uh, going into the military, I didn't really know what that meant. I knew I needed money for college. Didn't know this was kind of a drastic way of doing that. (laughs) And uh, so on July 10th, I I arrived at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. A civilian. On July 11th, I was a soldier. And I had no idea what that meant. Um, What I learned was... There was an entire culture, an entire way that I was going to be fashioned for the work of war. So one of the things our drill sergeants taught us to do was to learn how to be yelled at and to obey immediately without questioning things. Because questioning gets you killed. And so we had to learn that questioning gets you killed, so you obey right away. We had to learn that being brutal is part of the work of war. 
So we had to learn how to take these sticks that had these pads on the end. We had these little helmets, and uh, we had to hit each other. They didn't uh, put us on like a balancing beam where you just hit them off the beam. They just made a circle and say, okay, go. And you're like, okay. And you're, like, you're trying to hit each other. And uh, I mean, eventually, you just kind of grabbed it like this and just tried to <laughs> I mean, you really, they wanted you to get brutal with someone you know. Why? Because war is brutal. And you're going to be, at some point, face-to-face with another human being, and you're going to be asked to kill that person, and you may not have bullets to do it, so you've got to do it with your hands, so you've got to learn how to be brutal. We had to learn how to shoot. We had to learn that this wasn't a game, so what they did was they collected us all in a room and told us, okay, well, we, uh, Iraq has uh, shot a missile and killed um, about a thousand of our men. We are officially at war. And so half of you in this room are going to be leaving today to go to Iraq. So imagine what someone who said, I'm just doing this to get money for school, uh, thought. Right? Someone that thought, I'm just here to get money for school, now believes that he's about to get in a Humvee that's waiting for them outside the door, and they go down this list, and you see people that you know getting into that vehicle, and then the vehicle drives away, and you are terrified. Because you think, we are really leaving this place to go to war. I'm not ready for this, but you believe them because this is halfway into the thing. You have so little sleep, and you have learned obey, obey, obey. You believe every word that comes out of their mouth. And then they bring the guys back, and they say, okay, of course we're not going to take you to war. You're not even done with this. None of you are worthy to go to war. And then they go into what happens that day was our lesson, what happens if you're caught by the enemy. What kind of things they're going to do to you. What kind of things you're allowed to say and what kind of things you're not allowed to say. And guess what? We paid attention that day. Right? Why? Because the military was separating us and dedicating us for a particular work. (coughs) So that we would be ready to do that work. It was an entire culture that we had to separate ourselves from the world of civilian life and that that way of thinking where things were a lot easier because everything was really just political and you watch stuff on TV. Now you're doing the thing. You're in it. And I would submit to you that this is part of what is being talked about here in Romans 12. This living uh, as a holy sacrifice Your next idea, or your next blank there is dedicated means you are fashioned for God's service. You're not being conformed to the civilian life of sin. But your mind is being transformed, right? Your mind is renewed. You have a completely different way of thinking now. It is not like the civilian life out there where people are filled with sin and tainted and spotted and wrinkled. Now you have, you are being fashioned. Your mind is transformed. It's renewed so that you are fashioned for God's service. If you look at verse 4, 
I'll start in verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so that, uh, so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So this transforming of your mind leads to a, hu- a mind of humility. If you're going to be fashioned for, holy, for holiness and for holy work, your mind is going to be humbled. Pride is for the civilians out there who are filled with spot and wrinkle and are deceived by the idea that they have anything to offer anybody. If you want to be fashioned for holiness, you understand that you aren't worth anything without Christ. And that the people next to you are the same way. And even if you think that you have something better than them, or you are better than them, don't be deceived. You need a transformed mind. Remember your renewing. And remember there is nothing better that you have. All you have is Christ. And in verse 4 through 8, it talks about all these things we're supposed to do in the church. Uh, dedicated means, your next blank, engaged in, Christ, in God's service. So we look at verse 4. It says, for it is the minister of God, or it is the, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear, oh, I'm sorry. Ah, okay. Here we go. For just... <laughs> I read the wrong thing. I thought, oh, but that's actually implying, but that's not what it is. Okay. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same functions, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts, and it goes through all these gifts, the prophecy, let them prophesy in faith... Uh, in service, let them do it in servicing and teaching and teaching. It goes through all these things that are supposed to be done in, in the church. All this work that you're supposed to be engaged in and devoted to. And the last thing there that I want us to get to is that being dedicated to holiness, dedicated means mimicking God is the goal of your service. Um, One of the things that uh, I think bothers young people when we talk about God is we talk about God as the one who is self-centered, if I could put it that way. He does all things for his own glory, for his own greatness. And that we're supposed to do all these things for his glory and his greatness. And young people often think, well, that's, you know, that's a self-centered God. And, you know, I don't, how am I supposed to relate to a God that does everything for himself? And it's not enough to help them understand that self-centeredness is horrifying when humans do it because it is a God act. They don't quite understand this also, though. That how do we mimic God? 
How do we mimic God? We mimic God through this humility. Right? Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Do you understand that mimicking God is being humble? A God who has stooped to you. A God who was free from any kind of limitations places upon himself flesh. And the way we are to mimic him is to become holy. And this holiness involves humiliation, being humble. This is how I mimic my God. I mimic him by being humble, by being free from this sin that is on me, from being free from any kind of spot or wrinkle, evil thought. I want you to see how, how this evolves in, in uh, Paul's speech here. Um, when he goes through all the stuff we're supposed to, to, to do in the church, look at verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Why? Because God's love is without hypocrisy. What does that mean? It means don't say you love someone and love evil at the same time. You're supposed to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. That's holiness. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. You want to mimic God? Love. And love that which is not easy to love, each other. I would even say it's easier to love someone at work or love the unsaved. It's hard to love each other in a church where you see each other and there's politics involved. Someone said something, someone did something, and we all have reasons to have a little less love for each other. Give preference to one another, how? In honor, where we're honoring each other. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, preserving in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Look how holiness gets so practical all the way down to, I should invite someone to my house. Why? Because I love them. How am I going to love them? I'm going to honor them. How do you honor people? You put them in an honoring place. Your house. And you're, you're hospitable to them. This is how you honor people. And there is a sense in which we think of holiness as this big thing that can't be reached. And it really is humbling ourselves so that we can love each other, participate in the church because of our love for Christ, Trying to make our list of sins short before our God. That we don't have a big list all the time because we're constantly repenting before our Lord. Because we want to keep our record clean before our God. And what are we able to do when we do that? We're able to participate, engage in God's service. We are fashioned for his service. And we're able to mimic him because we are trying to keep free from the spots and wrinkles of the civilian life we used to live. 
Um, again, we're out of time. Uh, let me pray, and then we will. Uh, uh, I am. I'll hang around, and we can. You can ask questions, and we can talk more. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a holy God, and that, Lord, you ask us to represent your holiness even here on earth. We pray that you uh, work on us, Lord, to keep us holy before you. Help us to know that the things that you have us go through, the work that you have us do, and even the pain we go through, Lord, is part of your work on us for holiness. We pray for a humility and a love for each other that we may present our holiness uh, to you that way, Lord. We ask these things in your Son's name. Amen.